So everybody's out in the woods, so you get the scab replacement today. That's what the deal is. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm glad to be here. I'm, my name is Jared Humphreys. I'm one of the pastors here. It is truly an honor to, um, to just be part of this crowd, to be part of, of this church. Hey, if you're thankful for James and Cody, let's give them a hand as well. Come on, strong leaders. Strong leaders. And uh, you've heard us talk about this before probably, but we're part of a church that's trying to reach the entire state. And, uh, man, that vision still blows my mind. It, it still hurts my head to wrap my head around everything that, that God has asked NLC to do. We launched Saline County last weekend uh, down in the Benton Bryant area. And, man, God is already showing off down there. Um, maybe you've seen some stories on social media or whatever, but uh, to be part of a church that, that is that well-aimed at reaching an entire state, man, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be part of, of that team. I'm thankful for the Word of God. Anybody thankful for the Word of God? Be glad to be able to study it and, and learn from it. I, I love, to, uh, I love to, to dig in deep and go find those things that, that are kind of hard to find. And I'll be honest with you today, today's teaching is very simple. It's very simple to read. It's very simple to hear. But it's not so easy to do. All right? So we're back in 1 John. Before we get to that, I want to ask you one really important question. It's like the most important question of the day. Anybody in here got a best friend? Best friend. Guys, if you're married and your hand didn't go up, you're probably in trouble at this point. <laughs> it's not going to go well for you tonight. You might score less than the Razorbacks did yesterday. <clears throat> That's terrible right there. You shouldn't laugh at that. No, but seriously, we got to have friends around us that we can laugh with, that we can laugh at the Razorbacks every now and then, we can, we can talk with, we can have serious talks, we can pray with. Um, I've got a best friend. I've had one for about 10 years now. Her name is Renee. She's sitting right here. And I brought a picture. We went and had some pictures done lately, a couple weeks ago. We celebrated 10 years of, of wedded bliss. Well, 10 years of marriage. We'll say it that way. Because, uh, you know... She's my best friend about 85, 90% of the time, let's be honest. No, but uh, y'all give it up for her. She hasn't thrown me out yet. All right? Man, Jesus had two really good friends. And there's lots of studies around this. You can say he had 12, he had 3, he had 144, he had 70, whatever. But I, I really think he had two really close friends. First guy's name was Lazarus. And we know that Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus because the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Anybody know what that is? Can you quote it to me? Jesus wept. Why was Jesus crying? Because Lazarus was dead. Now, this sticks out to me as being really funny. And you'll, you'll learn if you, if you hang around here long enough. I've got a really twisted sense of humor sometimes. But here's, here's Jesus. He's got all power in heaven and earth. And he knows what's coming. And he knows that he's about to go raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he still stops and cries. Now, my thinking, Jesus would have been like, oh, Lazarus is dead, hold my cup and watch this. I'm just going to go get him. But he didn't do that. He cried. And so why is that? Because he was a really close friend. The other guy that I think qualifies as a really close friend of Jesus is John the Beloved. It's the guy that wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. Really close friend of Jesus. And in fact, when Jesus is on the cross getting ready to die, he's looking around for somebody to take care of his mom. 
and there's a crowd of people around, all the disciples, all the people that, that wanted to be there in that moment. And who does he pick? He picks John. John, go take care of my mama. Man, what a friendship, right? <laughs> John was this huge, enormous personality. You read the Gospel of John, and he's always bragging on himself. You ever meet the guy that, like, owns the room as soon as he walks in? And, and everything is, every eye is on him, all the attention's on him, and, and that's John. He's like, I'm John the Beloved. And he calls himself that all throughout the book of John. It's this huge personality. But then one day, after Jesus died, the history tells us that, that all the disciples went through, like, major horrific deaths. Beheaded, crucified, stoned. And I'm not talking about Colorado stoned. I'm talking about with rocks stoned, Right? One of them they threw off of the top of a temple, and he didn't die, so then they stoned him. But then John, he's the only one that wasn't martyred ugly like that. But history tells us that he was boiled alive, and he lived. Dude's a stud, right? How are you going to survive that? Well, then they couldn't kill him that way, so they decided to send him to the Isle of Patmos. And I don't know if you've ever studied about that, but this is the place where they sent all the criminals to die. So they send John, the best friend of Jesus, to this island that's full of major criminals. And he even lived through that. We know this because he wrote the book of Revelation while he's out there. God drops this boom on him. And here's this book. We know he survived because that book made it back into society. Okay, here's my imagination again. Can you imagine with me? The day that somebody got sent out there, let's go make sure John is dead. It's been long enough. The criminals should have killed him by now. The oil didn't, but there's some criminal out there that's going to have killed him by now, surely. And somebody walks out there and says, hey, John, are you dead yet? Nope. And here's this little book I've been working on. <laughs> wow, what a guy, right? So you've got a guy that was a best friend of Jesus, and then he spent the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years of his life preaching the love of Jesus. And he opens up 1 John in chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, again, I say, we're telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Now, I love, I love talking with old guys. I mean, like old guys that's been around a while. Because they're going to tell you everything they think they know about any subject you want to bring up. Right? I met a guy one time. This was late 90s. I was in college. I met a guy whose dad fought in the Civil War. Do the math, it adds up. Barely. <laughs> his dad, like, lied about his age and fought in one of the last battles. And then this guy's like 100 by the time I talked to him. But we sat there for 30 minutes talking about the change that had happened. He was born in, like, 1896 or 7, somewhere around in there. Horse and buggy days. So all the change he had seen in his life. And he's just this fountain of knowledge of things that had happened and, and things that, that he had seen humanity go through. I love talking with old guys. And I can picture John being like this because by now he's like 80, 90, 100 years old. Here's the other thing about talking with, with that kind of guy. They're not going to get hyped up. They're not going to get wound up about what you're talking about. They're not going to be like Bud of the Elf. Jesus, I know him. It's not even Christmas, and I'm already, it's not even Thanksgiving. We're quoting Christmas movies. But John, John was this guy that he would, 
he would just constantly flow out of him. It would be the love of God, and it would be the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus liked and what he didn't like. John is now Grandpa John. He's like 90 to 100 years old when he writes this letter, and this letter is the heart of a grandpa. Now, I've heard that being a grandpa, being a grandparent is a pretty cool thing. I don't know because I'm not there, thank God. I'm not that old yet. I'm kidding. But I've heard it's a really cool job because it's like the best job in the world. You get all the fun without all the responsibilities. You get all of the parties without any of the problems. In fact, my dad told me one day that if he had known how much fun grandkids were, he'd have had them first. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. So I brought up a poem for all the grandparents. It says this, I've seen the lights of Paris and I've seen the lights of Rome, but the most beautiful lights in all the world are the tail lights of my grandkids headed back home. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> You're saying you don't want your grandkids around. I'm kidding. No, but here's, here's the deal. Jesus wants us to be in this close, intimate relationship with him. He wants us to gather around him and have that kind of talk that we would have with our grandparents, right? So I want to look at John, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, because this is where John is telling us these are some things that are going to draw you away from that kind of relationship. And so these are the things we've got to avoid. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Hmm. If, you, if you don't catch anything else today, I want you to catch this. The lust, the object of the lust, is never as good as life with the Father. It's just never as good. John's telling us here, don't waste your life. Go trying to chase something else. Don't waste your life trying to chase things or people or accolades and miss out on life with the Father. They're all out there away from God. So I want to encourage us today, let's remain in a settled love with the Father. And that's what we're going to talk about, how to remain in a, self, a settled love. So we've got to avoid these three things. Number one, don't leave him with the lust of the flesh. I'm going to focus in on 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. We'll start off with lust of the flesh. And, and I want to go back to Genesis, and I want to talk about the first marriage, because marriage is kind of a big deal in my life. Um, I've been blessed enough to have two great marriages. Uh, the first one, some of you know, my wife passed away, and then God brought me Renee, and everything's been great since then. How many know God knows how to put back together, right? So I want to talk about the first marriage, and I, I want to talk about Adam and Eve. And man, they had the setup. They had it going on. They, had, they were in the perfect place, and they had this relationship with God where he would come by, the Bible says, in the cool of the day, and he would just hang out with them. And I can imagine that it's some of these close, intimate talks that John would have with his grandkids and that your grandparents have with you, and it's this, this close time where it's just a blast. How in the world would Adam and Eve mess this up? How could that happen? But yet it happened, okay? But let's look at some of the things they had going for them. They're in the perfect place. 
right? They had all the food they could ever want with no calories. Those of us on diets, amen. All the food they want. They have all the, all the animals that they want to mess with, play with, slay and eat, whatever, okay? <laughs> they had no in-laws. <laughs> Don't laugh too loud. <laughs> you might be one of those in-laws one of these days. Uh, they had no kids to interrupt them. And they had no clothes. That sounds like a perfect setup for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> but yet they messed it up. How did they mess it up? They got their eyes off of the relationship with God and onto something that was away from God that they thought could make their life better. Something that's away from what God would have them to do. And they thought, man, that's going to make my life better. We leave God because of the fraud of lust. Lust is the biggest lie in the world. And I'm not necessarily just talking about sexual lust. It could be lust over anything. But when you're settled with God, you don't lust for something that's out there away from him. And what's this word settled mean? This is not like I'm giving up and I'm accepting second place. No, this word settled means I'm going to remain. I'm going to stay here because I know that this is the best thing for me. Jesus said it like this in John's Gospel, chapter 15, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Man, in that first family, there was a lack of remaining with God. It started with a taste of something that was away from him, and then you read just a few verses later, and you're talking about a homicide. That escalated quickly. Here's the thing, sin will always, always take you further than you want to go. And it'll always cost you more than you want to pay. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin does that. The lust of the flesh, the eye, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the three things Jesus was tempted with in the wilderness. The devil came by and said, look, you're hungry. Go over there and get those stones and, and turn them into bread. Go make breakfast." Some of y'all are hungry right now just mentioning that. So Jesus had all power in heaven and earth, right? So he totally could have turned stones to bread, and it would have been fine. He did that later on in, in, the, in his life on earth. He made breakfast for the disciples one day. Why would it have been wrong in that setting? Because he would have had to go over there, which was away from where God wanted him to be. Here's the thing. Our, our biggest temptations, our, our biggest errors in life comes when we take our strengths, the things that God has given us to do, our abilities, and we take them out of his will and go do something for ourselves with them that's away from what he wants. I wonder today how many people are in a temporary success because they've done that. Sin's good for a season. It's pleasurable for a season is what the, what the Bible says. But in the end, its result is death. And that's the thing with, with, with lust. It's blind. You can't see where it's going to go. Somebody will say, that relationship looks good to me. That, that money is going to be good for my life. Or that drink is going to be good, but it's a lie. It's not good because it's away from God. And look, and I'm talking... I'm talking about the dumb mistakes that any of us can make. And I'm, I'm just going to be real and open and honest right here. I get mad when I see people do this. I get, 
when I get in my flesh. And I have to pray about that and, and because I know that I can do it as well. We're talking about simple mistakes where we, where we just we think something out there is better than what we have with God. And that's just never going to be the truth. I'm not talking about the bad, wicked people that, that you see in prisons and, and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that any of us can do. Here's the truth. The more we give in to our flesh, the less we're satisfied by our flesh. I mean, look at Hollywood right now. It's imploding on itself. Because you've got people that can have anything they want. They can have all the parties they want. They can have all the sex they want. They can have all the money they want, the houses, the cars. I even saw a video this week of a lady walking down the street. She's not a star, but she's married to one. She's walking down the street carrying her dog, and she has somebody vacuuming the sidewalk in front of her so she doesn't get her shoes dirty. <laughs> and yet it's not enough. I mean, read the, read the news every day. You find out that somebody else has come out as an addict or, or they're having marital problems and they beat their spouse and, or they've gone way beyond self-control and then they've taken that drive to places where it should never have gone. And why is that? It's because they're not settled in a love for the Father. They're not settled in their heart to know that he is all I need and he is all I will ever want. That's where we got to get to. Number two, don't leave him with the lust of the eyes. Back to 1 John 2, 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world. Jesus said it like this in John 4, 35. He says, open your eyes. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus says, open your eyes and see what I'm seeing. Look at what I'm looking at. Because when you follow lust, you can't see very far. <clears throat> I got into real estate photography a couple of years ago. And uh, it was a pretty fun thing. But I, I noticed when I was in smaller rooms, this was back before I wore glasses. I noticed when I was in smaller rooms, I would have to be up in the corner of the room with the camera like right here and I couldn't see to focus. And my ability to make money depended on my eyes. So, and I have four eyes, and it's okay. So I went to the doctor, and I said, look, you're going to have to help me with this. So you get the old test, is this better click, is this better click, is this better click, is this better click. You've been there, some of you. <clears throat> and eventually they diagnosed me with farsightedness. I'm like, wait a minute, I can see out there, I just can't see right here. And the doctor said, no, that's, that's what we call it. It's like the only medical condition in the world that tells you what you're good at. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it either. <laughs> I mean, like if you go in telling the doctor, my heart hurts, they're not going to say, well, at least you got good feet. <laughs> and is that even really a thing? No, but it's the only thing that they tell you what you're good at. <laughs> Spiritual farsightedness, that's a problem too. And remember, we're talking about wanting and needing to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with God. You can tell the people that are farsighted spiritually. You can tell them by what they pray about, by what they regret, by what they say, 
by what they spend their money on. It's all about something out there. It's away from God. Paul said that we see with the eyes of our soul. And, and lust is blind. But there's, there's one time, there, there's one thing I found in life where lust almost pays off. Almost. Anybody play golf? A few of you? I love to play golf. And for a while, I got caught up in uh, gear acquisition syndrome in golf. It then changed to photography, but it's a whole other thing. Uh, but in golf, did you know that they have drivers out there right now that, that you can adjust to fit you? Driver's what you hit the ball furthest with. It's what you start every hole with, and it's kind of like the foundation club of the whole game. <clears throat> so they have these drivers out there now where if you take your normal swing and if the ball comes out really low, then you can turn a dial and it'll pick it up. And if, if you hit it and it's fading off to the right and you want it to go to the left, you can turn a different dial and it'll do that. Man, what a time to be alive. Because I can go buy a thing that's going to fix everything that's wrong with my game and I don't have to change anything about me. Man, does that sound familiar? How many times do we get caught up in, I see something that's going to fix everything about my life, but it's not God. And we're like, no, nah, I, I don't have to change anything. This is easy. Listen, in the real world, Jesus is the only one that's going to dial it in for you. He's the only one that's going to help you correct your mistakes and help keep you in line with where you need to be. Look at the shifts in our culture these days. We've gone from loving each other to loving ourselves. The University of Toronto says that we're living in the narcissistic age. People that are born right now will take like 25,000 selfies before they die. I know some teenagers that have already passed that. And I know some parents that are right there with them. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh at that either. It's not that funny. But how many of you remember the baby boomers like 20 years ago? You would go up and ask them how they're doing, and the first thing they're going to start talking about is their kids and their grandkids. Right? And they used to carry pictures. We carry them in our phones now. But they used to carry actual printed pictures in a sleeve in their wallet. And maybe you remember the guy that would pick out his wallet and start unfolding it, and then pfft, there's like a three-foot-long thing of photos. How does that even fit in a pocket? I don't understand that. That's like Houdini magic right there. But, but they're all about showing pictures of their kids and, and their, their grandkids, never themselves. And yet that's where we're at. So ask yourself this question today. Where do my eyes have the best chance to destroy me? What am I looking at that has a chance of ruining my walk with God? And here's the thing. you got to move away from the lust of the eyes and toward loving eyes. John tells us 40 times in the book of 1 John to love each other. That's good stuff right there. Number three, don't leave him with the pride of life. Go back to 1 John 2, and I'm going to read it out of a different translation this time, out of the message translation. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. That scares me right there, I'll be honest with you. 
Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. One translation says it like this, the pride of life is parading around all of your achievements and possessions. Man, look at what I did. Look at, look at the car that I've got. Unless you've got to be guided, don't talk to me. Kidding. The first two, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, they're all about you getting something that you don't have. But this one is about showing off what you've already got. And the truth is, we're not going to impress God. We're just not. We might try to impress each other every now and then with some trivia. Uh, who in here can tell me who won the 1998 Super Bowl? Ah, okay. How about 1995? <laughs> There's a smart aleck in every crowd. Who won? <laughs> who won the? We just had CMAs this week. Who won the CMA New Artist of the Year in 2011? Uh huh. Got you there. Who's the 47th per richest person in the world? I'll make it easy. Who's the 47th richest person in Arkansas? Much smaller crowd to think of, and still nobody knows. We're not going to impress God with what we know and what we can do. Who was on the Tonight Show seven Wednesdays ago? Pfft, who cares? Right? Who invented the refrigerator? I actually looked this one up last night because I didn't know. But the thing is, you use your fridge every day, and you have no idea who made it, who invented it, right? <laughs> All I can say is thank God for Thomas Edison, because otherwise we'd have to watch TV by candlelight. <laughs> that light bulb will go off for y'all here in just a minute. <laughs> it's terrible. It's kind of like raising my kids. You know, I, I, I wanted to raise my kids to where all of them were serving God where all of them would have this relationship with God that I'm talking about. And honestly, for a while, man, it probably was because I wanted to show off. Look what my kids are doing. Look how good a dad I am. But then I came to realize it's really not that. It, it's, there's six souls that are involved in a relationship with God, and I don't have to brag about it, even though I just did. I, when we get so wrapped up in our accolades for what we've done, that's, that's a very hollow, empty life. But when we can get wrapped up in what God has done and how big God is in our lives, when we can get wrapped up in that, man, that's a great place to live. Brought up the CMAs. This last week, Wednesday night, I know this because I'm not necessarily a country fan, but I did look at Facebook Wednesday night. And like 80% of y'all were posting things about CMAs. But there was this one artist that took an opportunity. She totally could have got up and made the show all about herself. But she chose not to. She chose to take the stage that she was given and sing about Jesus. I brought a video. Let's watch this. Oh. 
Why? Because she's focusing on Jesus and what he would have us to hear. How do we set our hearts right again? You get the right perspective. Paul said it like this in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Put your eyes on him. Go after him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. I want to ask you one question. What is it today that would draw you away from God? What's the thing in your life that would put distance between you and God? What's the thing in your life that has drawn your eyes, that has drawn your heart away from God? Maybe you've never had a relationship with Him. Maybe you did and, and it's grown cold. The question's the same. What is it that has drawn you away from God? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. For you and for me to just come home. To just come back to relationship with him to get into a relationship that is close to where he can whisper into your ear and give you clear vision about his will for your life. Without anybody looking around, if you're feeling the call to get into or back into a relationship with him, raise your hand. Let me know. I can pray with you. Got you there. Got you in the back. Yes, sir. Softly and tenderly. Yes, sir. He's calling. He's calling for us to come home. Got you. Christians are praying. God's working on hearts right now to come home. God, I thank you for this people. I thank you for the souls that are in this room. I thank you, Lord, for your word that is forever settled in heaven. It is steadfast and true. I 
thank you that you want a relationship with us. And God, we come to you knowing that we're a broken people. We understand, God, that things have gotten in the way. And we want to fix that. We want relationship with you. God, I pray you would forgive every one of us for letting our eyes wander, for letting our desires wander, for trying to show off. I pray, God, that you would help us turn our hearts back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.